Hello, this is Matt O'Neill of the Soybean Pest Podcast. This is our first time back since the pandemic. We're starting on what's going to be called Season 11. We're recording in a way to meet the needs of social isolation and keeping ourselves and others safe by recording from home through Zoom. The sound quality is not as good as we would like it to be. We're going to work on improving that as the weeks go on. So I just want to give you a heads up that you may have to adjust your microphone, or not your microphones, we need to adjust our microphones, but you should probably adjust your headphones. Uh, some of the sound is a little bit wonky because we're doing this through the internet and our internet connections are not always stable. But you should be able to hear us both, Aaron Hodgson and myself. We're gonna go through some of our usual content. Uh, if you stay on through the end, there's a fun insect trivia question. And like I said, we'll be doing this uh, into the future. We're going to try to improve on the quality. Give us some feedback. If you have any questions or comments, you know how to find us on the internets. My email is O'Neal, O-N-E-A-L, at iastate.edu. Aaron's is E-W-H at iastate.edu. And look forward to providing you guys more content as we go forward into our 11th season of the Soybean Pest Podcast. All the best to you. Stay safe out there. Bye. And welcome back to the Soybean Pest Podcast. My name is Matt O'Neill, and I'm on the line with Hi, everyone. I'm Erin Hodson. Yes, and this is season 11. This is our starting off of our most recent season after a nine-month layoff. Erin, where have we been? We've been everywhere and nowhere at the same time. And so busy, too. So much busyness. It's crazy how busy we've been. It's been pretty busy, um, but the last, what, six, seven weeks have been something we've never experienced and actually no one's probably experienced before with your self-isolation. What kind of isolation? Self-isolation. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you're not up on current events, if you've been in a coma for the past two months, you might not know about this COVID-19 pandemic that's swept across the world. And turns out it affects research and agriculture. How's it affecting your research, Aaron? Well, let's see. Today is the 6th of May, 2020. And it's affected my research in that it makes it hard to get our lab together. I really depend on graduate students and undergrads to help me get trials into the ground, all the assessments throughout the summer. And it's going to be somewhat restrictive and so that we practice the best care that we can for our people. Um, but maybe about 80% of what I had planned to do, I think I can get done this summer if we oh, are bad. smart about it. How about you? Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, not making life easier. In fact, it's making everything harder. And I don't know if people know this, um, but the university has, um, put in some restrictions to help you know, prevent the spread and keep people safe and, We've tried to, as a university, ramp down our research and teaching activities back when 
Uh, this first happened, we went to all online teaching back in March, and um, we tried to limit the research activities to keep people from you know, getting exposed to the virus. So a lot of outdoor work can still go on, and it sounds like you're getting a lot of your plots planted. Uh, we're making efforts to do that as well, but there's a lot of in-lab stuff that we're holding back on doing until we get permission, until we get to go ahead that that work is considered essential. So some things are being delayed, but uh, we're hoping that as the plateau is reached and cases start to drop off, we can bring some of that stuff back, back online. So we'll just see. Yeah, uh, my extension life has been more altered just because of the limited face-to-face -face contact. So myself and newly hired Ashley Dean, she's an extension program specialist in my lab. We've been pushing out the digital content as much as possible. And uh, our article contributions to ICM News and ICM blog are like taking over the website, like the bug activity is really starting to pop throughout the state. And so there's things happening, you know, uh, the insects are starting to move around, plants are in the ground. It's a record, not a record pace, but near record planting pace, especially compared to the last two years. So yeah. there's plants growing, there's insects that want to eat those plants. All right, well, let's do our, our usual. Let's talk about the current pest activity and sure. crop activity. Yeah, um, just talking with some of the crops team field agronomists from around the state excellent planting conditions and in, in many of the many of the uh, crop reporting districts and i think we were over the weekend like a million acres a day of corn and soybean the subsurface moisture is great um, and and so that that is great for crops that are getting planted and um, but with uh, slightly warmer temperatures than we've had the last couple springs, it does accelerate insect development. And so um, we had a relatively mild winter and that favors insects that, that want to overwinter here. So bean leaf beetle had a good winter, about 50 to 60% survivorship is expected just based on air temperatures around the state. So that's been the nicest winter we've had in a really long time. And people have already started to see bean leaf beetles out in the world. And so um, you might notice if you have early planted or early emerged soybeans that you might have some bean leaf beetle feeding going on. Also, we're probably well on the way to having seed corn maggot adults flying all over the state. And typically we don't think of that as an issue unless maybe you're planting into cool wet soils, have high residue, or you use manure as a fertilizer. Um, but that's an uh, issue for some people. And then also those with those uh, folks with forages, alfalfa weevil is becoming active throughout. And so as that's greening up, you may have some defoliation from alfalfa weevils. And then just one last thing that isn't really- But wait, but wait there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, there's always more. Yeah, and then um, I don't know if you remember a little uh, like punk rock, type of caterpillar that was super uh, abundant last summer. Do you remember thistle caterpillar? Thistle caterpillar, how could I forget? Yeah. Has there been uh, a thistle caterpillar sighting so soon? Well, no, but there has been a few people with very keen eyes that have spotted the painted lady butterfly. 
Oh. And so, you know, people just love the butterflies, clear. but they don't necessarily appreciate the caterpillars. Just to be clear, clear, the painted lady butterfly is the adult stage of the thistle caterpillar. Correct. And so if we're seeing the adult now, we can anticipate some egg laying, possibly a generation getting started. Yeah, I mean, it, the seeing painted ladies in early May is typical. Seeing the, seeing the adults, they, they migrate from the southern U.S. and Mexico every year. It is typical to see them in May. Uh, so that's not a big surprise. But I think just because people, some people got really burned by thistle caterpillars last year and very cued into what the adults look like, I think they're going to notice more painted ladies this year um, than they might have in the past just because they associate that with thistle caterpillar. But um, I also saw in some of the weather predictions that we'll have freezing or near freezing temperatures around the state this weekend. So that's not that great for insects because even if it's just like a kind of a quick freeze that can zap some insects that aren't meant to live here. So for better or for worse, but you may see some out there on um, like apples, dandelions, thistles, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like um, people have had a little PTSD from the thistle caterpillar outbreak of 2019. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't know if everybody appreciates this across the state, but Back in July, I was coming back into the state and my car window was covered in them. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it got to the point where you could be walking around or like bike riding in town and getting pinged in the head with these butterflies. Oh, yeah. It's remarkable. And that's, that's just the, the, the adult butterfly. Caterpillars were defoliating in an incredible clip. So I could see where people would be very aware of them in a way that they haven't in the past but yeah it's like i think you're making a great point that it's a little too early to tell what kind of year we're going to have for these critters because there's still a lot of spring left and conditions can turn unfavorable as well you know it's interesting urban environments tend to be warmer than country environments mm -hmm. rural environments right. and what we might experience this weekend in the cities of ames and Fort Dodge and whatever may not be what the critters experience outside of town. And That's the, correct, yeah. the cold temperatures can um, knock, put a knock on development and put a knock on plant development and disrupt the relationship between the two. So, yeah, a little bit early to tell how bad a year it's going to be. But yeah, it looks like it, I'm just noticing this from a couple of times I've been out in the field. Uh, boy, we are set for a, a good year. Um, and when you say good for bean leaf beetle, you mean good in the sense of like, they made it through the winter, you know, yeah, good, good for that. Good survivorship. Yeah. I mean, not great for farmers, good for the beetles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other kind of big picture stuff going on this summer? Um, it looks like not as many soybeans are projected to be planted this year, maybe a little bit more normal year than I think last year where we had some record numbers of soybean acreage. So, yeah, I haven't quite seen those stats, but it's hard to break the record every year, right? So um, maybe not quite as many acres this year. What what kind of numbers did you see? Um, yeah, it was more trends. You know, oh. I don't think they had announced the numbers, but there was estimates that there would. I mean, like you said, it's hard to uh, break a record year. So you know, you're going to head back down south from high record acreage of soybeans. Um, you know. That kind of gives us some idea of, you know, I don't know if it gives us any idea of what kind of trends we might expect to see, but 
maybe there'll be a lot more eyes on corn than soybeans this year than last year. Yeah, could be. And if a lot of that corn is going into rotated ground, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't expect to see quite so many rootworm outbreaks or maybe broke up some other life cycle life cycles and some other pests. Yeah, it, it could be. Um, I'm hearing a lot more about folks that are opting out of BT, uh, the above ground traits. And so oh, really? um, if, if that's true or people are planting more corn, the odds of them planting um, non-BT corn is probably also increased, uh, will be increased. And so um, not planting BT is certainly an option for farmers. It's, it's cost savings right from the get-go. But I always caution people to, you can't stop scouting. You know, there's certainly a lot of pests that are still out there, especially when you have the kind of acreage that we do in Iowa. So um, just to make sure that the sampling effort is still there, especially if you don't have BT. Yeah, that's interesting. Hey, um, it, this is a little bit out there, but um, with those above ground traits, mm -hmm. uh, relaxing the use of them, that opens the door for some insects that we haven't typically seen before, right? Like European corn borer? That would be my number one concern. Yeah. So, um, Ashley Dean, who I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, is putting together some stats from the USDA on adoption of BT, and it has been slowly declining, not only in Iowa, but throughout the U.S. the last couple of years. I think it had 2019 was about 85% in Iowa. So there's 15% of corn that doesn't have a BT trait. So, you know, that's when you Did add you that. 15, 1, 5? 15, yeah. And so, I mean, there's just a lot of specialty corn, right? I mean, there's popcorn, white corn, seed corn. I mean, there's all, it's not just all regular field corn, but it does add up. So when you translate 15% into the acreage that we have in Iowa, there are some parts of Iowa that, you know, for whatever reason, they're choosing not to use BT. And that's, that's quite a bit of susceptible corn. And so corn borer would be my number one concern for those fields. And there have been some farmers that have been burned very recently in 2018 and 19 because it's it's a really devastating pest and so especially the second generation that gets into the ear you can have very serious yield, yield losses when it comes to corn borers. Um, there's a little bit out there um, but there's another crop that might be attacked by European corn borer. Yeah. In Iowa. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be the first time. It has a wide host be... range. Yeah. So it's yeah. not just um, corn. Yeah, it, um, despite having the name corn borer, it'll, it'll bore into other stuff. And this summer will be the first time in a long time, some, what, 70 years, that hemp will be uh, grown legally in the state of Iowa. Yep. Hemp is a host for European corn borer. So it's one crop that uh, growers will not be able to use insecticide on. So it might be a source for uh, corn borer going forward to uh, some of our corn acres, maybe even that second generation. So maybe something to look out for, although I can't imagine there's going to be lots of acres of hemp grown this year, probably in the tens to hundreds, but going forward, something to keep our eye on. Yeah. Hey, how are we doing on time? I have no idea when we started, so we're doing good. We're covering all the topics? Yeah, I think I just covered the highlights of what I would expect happening right now. 
Um, it is supposed to be cooler. So as you mentioned before, that kind of slows down plant growth and also insect development. So uh, maybe things will start ramping up again next week. Are you ready for a um, fun insect trivia? Bring that fit on. All right. All right. So um, to, our, to our listener, uh, you know, it's been a while. I like to drop a little trivia. I don't know if you know this about me, and I don't like to make this about me. I'm kind of an you know, introverted person, but I was a two-time state champion in Quiz Bowl back in high school, and you know, trivia means something to me. But I don't want to talk about me. I want to offer this back to the people, Aaron. I want to, I want to share some of my love for trivia in a realm of insects, pest management, ecology, et cetera. So we okay. created the, well, I think you created the fun insect trivia. I'm sure you did. No, this, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. We're in it. So you ready for this? Heck yes. All right. This is a little bit obscure, but um, I think if you're in tune with current events, you're, you're going to figure this one out. All right. So uh, back in 2008, popular media outlets in Japan started referring to this insect as Satsujin Suzumibachi. Satsujin Suzumibachi. What is the name that is given to this insect in the United States? Or at least more recently in an article published in the New York Times over the weekend. Well, it's one that you've been obsessed about in social media. I don't want to use the word that they've been using, so I'll call it the Asian giant hornet. All right. Very good. Well, Satsujin Susan, Susie. Mebachi, God, I gotta practice my Japanese. There's a little translation for that expression, murder hornet. And it was a term used to describe this in the Japanese press. And it was one used by the author of the New York Times to summarize uh, the biology, ecology, popular press uh, understanding of this critter in its native range of Asia. Turns out this critter was discovered in um, Vancouver in an island off uh, the coast of Vancouver, Canada last year, and has made its way into the um, state of Washington where they think it's, it, populations have established and there is an attempt to eradicate uh, this invasive insect. And there's some good reason to eradicate it. Uh, murder hornet might be uh, a little extreme. As a, a little? Of my, little, maybe a little bit, but I mean, for humans, um, I think they estimated that something like worldwide 50 people a year die from this. That's, that's pretty small. I mean, you know, and uh, death is a tragic event, but compared to some other critters, um, you know, not, not the most uh, um, voracious source of human loss. Um, a friend of mine, a lawyer said, you know, if given the right jury, they could probably get the murder hornet down to a manslaughter bee. So, you know, maybe not as bad as it sounds. But if you're a honeybee, especially Apis mellifera, the European honeybee, the um, murder hornet, or its Latin name, Vespa mandariniae, is um, a significant predator. Uh, a, a couple dozen of these can go into a hive and wipe out the hive, killing the adults and then stealing the larvae to feed their hives. So it's thought to be uh, a potential threat to honeybee keepers in North America who rely upon the European honeybee as their, um, as their 
go-to for beekeeping. And you probably already know this, and hopefully by now our listeners have heard about the remarkable adaptation that the honeybees that are native to Japan, Apis serrana, have adapted to attacks by Vespa and Arrhenia by balling up around the foraging, the scouting murder hornet, and then vibrating their thoracic muscles such that they raise the temperature at a level that would kills the wasp. Unfortunately, Apis mellifera, the European honeybee, doesn't do this, so they don't have much uh, defense against the attackers. I did a little bit more reading about this, and um, it's remarkable. It, I mean, one, the pictures are huge. Aaron, it's got like a three-inch wingspan. Two. Oh, wingspan, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's massive. It'll fit inside the palm of your hand. Well, maybe maybe my hand. I got small, small little hands, but good-sized critter. Um, but it doesn't just feed on honeybees. It's, uh, it's a predator, and it'll hunt medium to large-sized insects throughout the year. Not only bees, other hornet species in Asia, it feeds after mantids, especially the large mantids um, that survive the summer. And they really like this because they're looking for sources of protein to feed their queen and their larvae, especially late in the year. And there's some evidence that they'll go after crop pests, going after caterpillars and stuff to provision the nest as well. So not all bad, but Given the impact that invasive species have had on beekeepers in the United States, Varroa mite is an invasive species, small hive beetle that has come up through um, the south, southeast part of the United States, even as far as Iowa. Uh, these are making it harder for beekeepers to keep their bees and adding fuel to the invasive species fire isn't gonna help anybody. So hopefully they can keep that under control out there in Washington and prevent it from establishing and spreading across the country. Nobody wants the murder hornet on the loose through North America, do they? Uh, I don't want the Asian giant hornet to establish in Iowa, if that's what you mean. I, I believe right now there is no Entomological Society of America common name accepted for this insect. And it's ESA that that is the official source of common names in North America, not the world. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it'll be interesting what they fall back on. I'm sure it will not be murder hornet. I think it'll be murder hornet. <laughs> All right. Well, that was my fit. I had a good hunch it was going to be about this hornet. You can see that coming. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Uh, I didn't disguise that well. All right, I'll have to do a better job of mixing it up. So are we good? Do we cover everything for uh, our first time back in over nine months? Yeah, I think we hit the highlights. So we are, we are producing this differently because we are not in the same room as usual. So if you could provide any feedback on how we sound compared to maybe yeah. how we normally do, we appreciate that just to make sure that we're, that you guys can hear us okay. Um, and we're using a different recording software too. So things are, yeah, that's so times are changing. That is so hopeful. You said you guys, he put an S at the end of that. Maybe two people. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. All right. That's okay. all I got. So we'll do this. Uh, we'll, we'll endeavor to do it every week yeah. and uh, try to get some new com content up. I think we'll probably bring in some um, new people to talk to. Maybe this okay. Ashley Dean that we've been talking about so much. She can yeah. share with us some of her work and 
uh, maybe we could bring in Randall Cass, the new, well, officially new uh, extension honeybeeologist for um, Iowa State University, who's setting up some apiaries to be run out of the university to produce Iowa State's own honey. Yeah. All Sounds right. Good. Okay. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you.